Welcome back to our Christmas presentations here at Real Original. Today we're going to be discussing Jingle Jangle, Netflix's new holiday movie. My name's Dave. My name is Suzanne. And my name is Sterling. And I just absolutely love this movie. But before we dive in, I want to issue a quick spoiler warning. Like with all the movies we discuss here on Real Original, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of this. But with this one being a newer release, we should probably warn the audience up front. So... This movie was just a, a delight. Uh, Sterling, I know you may have, have some thoughts that you need to get off your chest quick. Sterling, what did you think about the movie? Honestly, I I liked it. I thought it was whimsical. I thought it was cute. Um, I, I liked the music. I mean, I, I, saw, you know, I saw a lot of things on people online. People didn't like the music, and I don't know how that's possible. But I got a lot of different vibes from it. Like maybe it was coming from a bunch of different influences, and I could see them. But I, I enjoyed it. I would I would say you know it's it's up there. It's, I don't think it's gonna be like a Christmas classic in, in the, the right. I might watch it again once a year or once every other year or something like that. Suze, what did you think? Did this movie? Did we all like it? Did we go three for three? I loved it. I thought it was adorable. I actually had no idea that it was gonna be a musical, so that was a little surprising. Um, but that being said, like I thought the music was great. I thought that the movie itself was adorable. Um, And I thought it was just a cute storyline that I haven't seen before, especially in a Christmas genre. So I was a big fan. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, the music was great. And I have some things I can complain about, which we'll dive into eventually. But ultimately, I do want to just get across here early in the podcast that I did enjoy it. And I've actually watched it like two and a half times, which is kind of rare for, for podcast movies. I just kind of have trouble finding the time to watch things these days more than once. But Jingle Jangle was worth the multiple watches. And it's a great movie to have on in the background. It reminded me a lot, both in costumes and dance numbers and songs of The Greatest Showman. It definitely took some inspiration from that, which took inspiration from Moulin Rouge. But like these these just beautiful flamboyant costumes and great sets that don't really look like real places, but just look so amazing that you don't really care. You don't really think about it. Just everything on the screen from frame one to frame end was a a delight for the eyes. It was very pretty. I almost got like a, like a stage feel almost like at times, because a lot they used a lot of the same like angles with some of the scenes, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Like it felt familiar. It felt like homey almost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, and you could tell that this was on a soundstage. This wasn't on a real set. They didn't go anywhere. They built this set, so it was definitely limited in terms of their space. And the homey feeling is is kind of what you're tying into there. Like sets can be a, a really they can get boring really quick. But if you design it well and film it well, like they did here, it plays to the movie's advantage. And with this being like such a whimsical, magical movie, it's it's easy to buy into all of the, the beautiful colors on the screen and everything that's on. I just loved it. So now that I've praised it quite a bit, I will lean into something that's a big pet peeve of mine with musicals. And this is something that I've struggled with like since I can remember watching movies and that is they don't use the sound 
from when they record the video. And it's very, very clear in some movies because it's clear that the actors are singing, but their voice doesn't match their actions. Mm -hmm. You can tell that a recording of themselves is being dubbed over themselves acting. And this movie kind of fell prey to that quite a bit for me, especially because a lot of the songs are just one person singing or one person on the screen in any song where there's multiple people on screen and the camera's got a lot of movement. It's a lot harder to see, but for scenes like, like a good example of that would be the uh, post woman, the woman who delivers mail, by the way, the first time I saw the movie, I didn't realize she was like a, a mail delivery person until the end. I thought she was just some woman that stole mail. But anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a scene early on where she's, she's singing and dancing around Geronicus's shop and it's a marble floor and she's jumping on wooden ladders and she's singing her heart out and her, her voice is very studio. It's very edited and recorded and not one single external sound yeah. finds its way into the song that you hear. You don't hear her walking around. You don't hear her shoes hitting that marble floor. And it's just a big disconnect for me. Am I the only one that experiences that? No, I, I caught that with a lot of the scenes where there was just a singular person singing. It was really uh, jarring at times. Um, like, like eh, that tracking's off. Um, definitely definitely caught that yeah yeah i would definitely say that from the beginning of the movie um first of all not knowing that it was a musical but then when it when i realized that it was because it opened up with a bunch of singing um that threw me off for sure because then that's all i could pay attention to there for a while was like every time a new song would start i would be just scanning their mouths and seeing if it matched up and almost none of them did but at least the music was still good. Oh yeah. I, I probably, I haven't looked for it yet, but I imagine the soundtrack for this is on Spotify or something. And I would love to listen to it more. Definitely. Like I, I think my favorite song was the very first one. I don't really remember the songs like by heart. I couldn't hum the tunes or anything like that, but, but they were, they were fun. They, they, they resonated with me. Like, you know, the very first one was very upbeat and, and, and you know, groovy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the music was all very upbeat and feel good, and it was nice. It was just it was nice to turn off your brain and have fun with the movie. It was clear that this was a kids' movie. Oh yeah, and we're probably all a little too old to be the target audience, but I could still appreciate it as an adult. Right. I texted my sister and was like, "Yo, you got to watch this. I think you're really gonna like this movie." Something interesting about the songs and the volume in general in this movie is I had to turn my TV up pretty loud to be able to hear it at a volume that I'd appreciate. I normally keep my TV at like a nine to 11 and I had to be turned up to over 30 to be able to hear this movie at, at a normal volume. Weird. Did either of you have an experience like that? Um, Not that I can remember. I mean, maybe I had to turn it up a little bit, but I also always have like subtitles on. So I rely on that a lot just in general. Boo. Subtitles were the devil. That is not true. (laughs) I'm not a big fan, but. I understand why people like them. I had a, I mean, I have a soundbar I use for movies generally. I don't use it for much else. Uh, maybe some TV shows, but I usually have it at like a two. I think I did have to turn it up to like a two and a half or a three on that. So okay. I definitely noticed a little bit of like quietness overall with the movie, especially with the music though. So we should probably 
go into a description of the movie. I'll, I'll try to run through it here, and, and y'all can correct me if I miss out on anything or say something wrong. But the movie is about an inventor named Geronicus. Jerry! Yeah, Jerry. And Geronicus, uh, he's a young man, he's with a family, and he's an inventor. And his inventions get stolen by his apprentice, Gustafsson. And basically that shatters his life and his family either dies or leaves him because he's too depressed to be around. And then this is kind of a story of the family reuniting, rekindling that spark of, of like creativity and maybe getting back their, their intellectual property that was stolen from them. And it's done in the form of a musical. It's, it's predominantly African-American actors because it's part of Netflix's representation matters collection which i'm a huge fan of it's a great idea and it's a very happy feel-good movie everybody can walk away with somebody with something everybody can enjoy it i hope did i miss anything no i think you just about nailed it all right cool i will say i got some like reverse willy wonka vibes from it oh (laughs) that's funny i'm surprised i didn't even think about willy wonka while watching this but you're totally right like instead of him having the factory, he was like the singular guy, and the the you know the quote unquote Slugworth character in this was the was Gustafsson. Well, technically, it was the little Ricky Martin character. I can't think of his name. Don Juan. Don Juan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the Gustafsson character may have been miscast by casting Keegan Michael Key because I was totally on board with Gustafsson. Like once he had his big song and dance number as an adult, I was like, holy crap, I want Gustafsson to win. He's so much more fun than Geronicus. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Because he wasn't depressed. <laughs> yeah, he's the best inventor in the world. But he's also Keegan Michael Key, who I love. <laughs> right, I love him too. Once I saw him, or I guess once the apprentice grew up and became Keegan Michael Key. I was totally on board. I thought that was hilarious that he was in this kind of movie. And Don Juan, the Ricky Martin character, there was a few things about his character that kind of made me quirk my eyebrow a little bit. Like, so his plotline starts when Geronicus basically becomes God and gets the ability to create life. And what he does is he creates a an action figure of like a conquistador and it, it comes to life and it's its name is Don Juan. And one of the first things that Geronicus says to this doll is basically, I'm going to clone you and sell millions of you to little children around the world in this new doll that has has fresh life and is obviously like alive and thinking it's it's horrified at that fact. And the movie gives it like no credit. It, it kind of plays hmm. Geronicus up as being the the good guy. And then Gustafsson kind of steals the doll and gives it a life of, of freedom and not needing to be cloned. And I was like, is Gustafsson the good guy in this movie? Like, I know the movie's telling me that he's bad, but he kind of feels like the good guy. Um, I think I'll have to disagree with you there because Gustafsson only took him in because um, Don Juan like promised that he was going to help make him like the most successful I don't know, inventor in the world. So like, I don't, they both had the evil vibes of like, we want world domination, like creating an empire. So uh, I think I was more, more so on Geronicus's side of he's being the good guy. I mean, we could get into philosophical discussions about, you know, creation and, uh, 
ethics and how, you know, Don Juan relates to Lucifer in a way, but I think that's a little heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Lucifer. next time, Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Yeah, and I know you said that they kind of each have evil vibes, but Don Juan was just trying to avoid being cloned. He was just trying to preserve his freedom, and Gustafsson was the only person in the room that could save him. So, of course, he sided with Gustafsson, and yeah, they kind of fed off of each other, but ultimately, like, the creator, the so the quote-unquote god in this movie was, like, not allowing his creation to have free will. <laughs> it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Well... I think last point on this, and then I'm turning off my philosophy mode, but Don Juan didn't want to be cloned, which like, if you think about what Geronicus's goal was, it was like, oh, I want every kid to have like this amazing toy that they're going to love and they can interact with because it's alive. But Don Juan didn't want that because he wanted to be selfishly like, the only one, the only kind of toy and invention that's ever had life. And so that's why he didn't want to be cloned. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely different philosophical discussions to be had about that, but I'm happy moving on. If we don't want to dwell on it all podcast. <laughs> the other thing that kind of confused me about Don Juan and specific is that this movie has some cut scenes. I might call them. They're like transitional scenes where all of the, human characters are depicted in wooden form. Geronicus, Geronicus' wife, Journey, his granddaughter, they're all depicted in, in a wooden form and being alive and moving, but that also has Don Juan in it, which is depicting a living wooden creature as a different wooden creature. And I just found those scenes to be kind of confusing. And I was like, wait, what's going on here? Is, is this like the afterlife or something? What is this? It almost reminded me of like he was almost like a puppet master because in some of those scenes he was gigantic. You know what I mean? Like he was looming over the other dolls, right? That were depicting the other characters. So maybe he was the storyteller from, you know, after he was reset or whatever. <laughs> and that scene was kind of metaphorical, but m- most of those scenes weren't. Like the scene where Geronicus was depressed and he went and he like sold, he sold something for a loan. And then his, his wife died in the street while his daughter watched. Like there was really tragic stuff happening that was depicted as being truthful within the universe. But then it kind of transitioned to being metaphorical. Like Gustafsson and Don Juan were taking over the toy industry. Mm -hmm. It was odd. I will say one more thing about Don Juan though. Um, Whoever animated him did a great job because animating a living creature that's made of wood has to be a nightmare to prevent the different parts from clipping into each other. Cause like, like when you make an animated character like Woody from toy story, like he's all soft. So he's all bendy and he can bend wherever he wants. And his, his flesh can kind of go in itself because it's squishy. But when you make a living wooden creature, it can't do any of that. And they did a great job with it. So I thought that Don Juan was made out of like metal. Really? I mean, I could definitely be wrong, but like from his, his little like conquistador outfit, I just like thought it looked more like metal. And I think I assumed that too, because once they brought buddy 3000 into the picture and buddy was like mostly metal, 
I think that's probably why I assumed it. But does it not look metal to you? Sterling, I'll let you answer that. I wasn't sure what he was made of. Um, I think it probably was both. And I'm not just trying to be like politically correct and not offend either of you. I I genuinely (laughs) think that it could have been like a mix. Um, I wasn't sure if he was 3D animation or if he was stop motion animation until until we actually just started talking about it. And the more I thought about him, he, he was he was 3D, right? Like he wasn't stop motion, correct? He was CGI. Okay, I thought so. And I kind of want to watch the movie again and, and just watch for his body to see if it's metal or wood. I think I think the reason I thought it was wood is because there's a scene early on when he's just achieved sentience, when his hair pops off a little bit and he kind of clicks it back into place. And I remember that having a wooden noise. Huh. Wow, that is, that's a lot of good focus right there. <laughs> I like actually am now Googling pictures of Don Juan because I can't make up my mind. Even as I'm looking at these pictures, I'm still not sure. That's bizarre. So we're all going to have to watch it again and come back <laughs> for another podcast. And do another episode. For, yeah, <laughs> just, you know to make sure we all agree on what he's made of. And speaking of Don Juan's design, the the whole aesthetic and design in this movie was just wonderful. It's very steampunky, lots of gears and steam and like a, a little bit of magic. I, I liked the movie a lot more when it just had like an undertone of magic than when it was just outrightly doing magic. But the visual aesthetic of this movie was just delicious. Makes me want to play Bioshock. I don't know what Bioshock is, but I will agree with you that aesthetically this was a wonderful movie like just the sheer detail in everything from costumes to the sets it was it was all phenomenal i'll echo the 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 bioshock sentiments (laughs) did the bow ties in this movie bring you both as much joy as they brought me I kept thinking of Bill Nye. Well, yeah, that's somebody you think of when you see bow ties but these bow ties were so unique they had like different edges they weren't just flat. They were kind of curvy. I loved them. As a fan of bow ties, this movie made me want to like swipe my credit card somewhere and, and pick these up. <laughs> bow ties were thick. I know what you're getting for Christmas now. <laughs> um, aside from the bow ties, I definitely thought that like all of the outfits were awesome. And it was so cool that they were all like holiday themed for the most part, like lots of reds, greens, golds. I just like was in love with all of them. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the Grinch, the Jim Carrey movie, how they all had like really elaborate costumes that were faintly Christmas themed. And yeah, it was, it was simply wonderful. I I really hope they make a sequel to this. Netflix loves making holiday movies. So I hope they keep this one alive. Oh, they definitely do. And I've been binge watched most of them, especially like, I don't even know if this one's made by Netflix. I think so. But Vanessa Hudgens has been in like three Christmas movies like within the last Mm -hmm. year. And I've binged all of them. Anything that's holiday-esque and comes out on Netflix, I'm all over it. That's too many Christmas movies. Holy crap. I want to throw up Christmas by the time (laughs) it happens. I would say I definitely like would watch a sequel. I don't know that it needs one, but I would watch one. I could totally see a sequel of this where like Gustafs Gustafsson is being welcomed into the family and he becomes like a, a cheery uncle that they don't trust for a while, but then like something happens and he has to step in and save the family. Like it would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, thinking, I'm just saying, I don't think that it would necessarily need one. I'm not saying that I like it would dislike it. 
That would be really cute. Right? I'm on board. I would love to watch that. But there were some other things in the movie that I didn't care for that I wanted to bring up. And that was some line reads. Specifically, the opening line read of this movie. It was so bad. The opening line, I wrote it down. It's a young girl saying, No, I really see something this time. You have to believe me. And the line read was just terrible. And I couldn't believe that that was the, the way they opened the movie. I was I was ready to like start hating this movie immediately. But, but then it caught up with itself and kind of became good. And she herself had lots of very naturalistic good line reads after that one. It was only that line read. That's funny. I think just regarding like what they said throughout the movie, I think Forrest Whitaker's character, Geronicus, I was not impressed with some of the like responses that he had throughout the movie. Like I either thought he was either too monotone or like didn't show like, I don't know, enough emotion. I think it was hard for me to get on board with like his character because you see movies where someone like Geronicus is like, had a hard life they're depressed and they're really like focused on their work and Mm -hmm. i don't know i felt like he was just kind of like dull at points with yeah yeah those characters are normally more animated and i feel like what you're talking about is kind of what forrest whitaker's character has become in in movies he was in star wars rogue one as a raspy speaking i don't even know what he was supposed to be but he basically stood still didn't do anything and just talked in the same tone. And it kind of came across the same way in this movie. So I, yeah, I I caught that too, but I didn't know if they were going for that and hired him to do that. Or if that was just him interpreting the character in his own way. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. In rogue one, he's like a paranoid cyborg. He doesn't trust anybody in this. He's just a dick for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I love when he buys one egg and offers to split it with his granddaughter. Right. <laughs> that, that's like when you could tell he was starting to change towards her a little bit. Yeah. Which was very charming. Once he realized that she was an inventor, he was like, oh, we might actually like be friends. Definitely. So after watching this movie for the first time, I realized that this was basically, it was a Peter Pan slash Pinocchio story with a villain from Coco. Please explain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so Pinocchio comes from creating life. Pinocchio is is famously about a a puppet being given life, which is totally what happened to Don Juan in this movie. The Peter Pan story or the Peter Pan angle is because there's lots of flying in this movie, but only if you believe. And that's totally a Peter Pan trope. It's literally the Peter Pan trope. (laughs) Yeah, like it's Peter Pan. (laughs) And then the Coco villain was just because the uh, Don Juan reminded me of that, like good looking guitar actor from Coco. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Music thief. (laughs) Yeah. See, (laughs) like it's, it's kind of an accurate summation that it's Peter Pan and Pinocchio by way of Coco. It works. (laughs) It has an up reference to his wife dying. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Do you all have anything else to add? I've got a few more talking points, but I'm kind of running out of steam, if I'm being honest. Um, not off the top of my head, but what's funny is when I was, like, Googling Jingle Jangle to just, like, see more about it in general, one of the yeah. first Google questions that pops up is, 
is Jingle Jangle a real drug? <laughs> so there's that. Wow. <laughs> what else have you been Googling, Suze? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is Jingle Jangle at Trader Joe's? <laughs> One of the next questions. <laughs> wow. It sounds like Suze is trying to buy drugs at Trader Joe's. Drugs and healthy food, of course. I feel like they can be the same thing. All right, so I've got a few more talking points. Um, the Whirly Necklace. At one point, Jeronicus gives his daughter this necklace that's just like crazy. It's got gears and shining lights and it moving parts. And the camera zooms in on it. I'm going to guess four times in the movie and kind of holds on it. I didn't count, but it was somewhere in that four-ish number. And there is no payoff to this necklace. It's basically just zooming in on something weird. And I I thought for sure that the ending of the movie or the, you know, the whole framing of telling the story of Jeronicus, I I thought for sure that necklace was going to pay off as like a key or something important that was a missing part in an invention but it was nothing. It was just a fun looking necklace. Yes, that was so disappointing. I definitely thought so too, but I think all it was was a cheap uh, cut like frame so they could cut to a new scene without it. Oh. You know what I mean? Cinematographically. Big words. From a cinematography standpoint, this movie was not spectacular, but I still thought it was pretty but I definitely think they use some, some kind of shortcuts. I just thought like for how many times they brought it up throughout the movie and like made it in a really like interesting focus that made me curious about it, that it would have come to fruition at some point. And just like, like you were saying, Dave, like, I don't know, is it going to be a key to something? Is that the thing that gives somebody like the ability to do all that crazy math or what? Yeah, they should have done something with it. And I kind of got the impression or the idea that it was either a filmed scene that they cut because it didn't test well, or it was a written scene that they didn't film because of budgetary reasons. So they had this story where there may have been a payoff to the item, but then after shooting 70% of the movie or so, they were like, oh crap, we've burnt our whole budget. We don't have time and money to shoot that scene but we already have this footage of us zooming in on it. You know, that's supposed to be a cut to the next scene, like Sterling was saying. So I, I kind of feel like something happened on the back end, but Netflix doesn't really talk about the production of their movies in any meaningful capacity. So we may never know. Probably not. Well, that's sad. If, yeah. if I were an actor in that movie, I would have just given them like 20 bucks started, you know, like a little slush fund for let's get, <laughs> let's get this together. <laughs> Make sure it all wraps up nicely in the movie. Buy yourself something nice, kid. <laughs> you know, for a movie called Jingle Jangle, there weren't enough bells. Or like keys jangling. Right. Why was it called Jingle Jangle? I had to make that joke. Well, the jangles because it's in his name, and Jingle is to associate with Christmas, I think. Okay. That's about the extent of it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> huh. I, I mean, it is a catchy name. Yeah. I remember hearing the name or reading about it and I was like, Ooh, what's this? <laughs> All right. I've got two more things that relate to the end of the movie. One of them is the reveal that the older lady is journey. When that happened, I was like, no shit. Was that like not supposed to be expected? Who did, who did those kids think she was? Do those kids not know who is reading them a Christmas story? Like have those kids been kidnapped? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I was with you. Like, 
it was definitely obvious if you've watched any type of movie in your life that that was Journey all grown up. Like, have they never heard or seen movies about literally anything? Like, does Disney exist in their day or... <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like if, if the little girl is able to see little fire dancing, she can probably infer that her grandma's got some sort of magic about her. And how have they not seen Buddy or seen their grandma fly or seen their yeah. grandpa's factory like out the window before? <laughs> we do need to remember that this film was majorly geared towards children. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I still have to do my pedantic nitpicking. <laughs> Yes, I talked about how bad its cinematography was. I didn't think its cinematography was bad. I just didn't think it was exceptional. It was just kind of very Ron Howard, very what you expect to see. Fair. And then Sue's kind of touched base on the other talking point that I had, which was at the end of the movie, they get out and fly away to the toy factory, which is just outside their window. It's literally visible outside of their window. And that just made me wonder, like, is this again, it got me wondering, is this the afterlife? Are they all dead? Like is Jeronicus in that factory eternally making toys for Satan or something like what's going on here? Okay. Now that's headcanon. Uh, Journey is officially a serial killer and those children were her victims. That's what I'm going to think. Ooh. now. It's a horror movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's Krampus. She ended their journey. Oh God. No. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Or maybe they needed to just believe in order to see the factory. I don't know. Yeah, all the scenes in the movie where they were like, you just need to believe to accomplish this task. Of course, those were silly to watch as an adult, but it was whimsical and it was fun. You know, I I can enjoy that stuff still. But that's all I had. Sterling, anything else for Jingle Jangle? I'll give it a rating. Uh, One cowbell out of two because it didn't have enough cowbell. Nice. Oh my gosh. Suze, will, will you watch this next year? Will it be in your Netflix rotation? Um, I'm going to give it a four out of five stars, and yeah, probably I'll end up watching it again. Nice. I'm going to give it two jangles out of four jingles, which mathematically means that I just liked the movie and thought it to be quite whimsical and lovely, and I'll definitely be watching it again. I can't really think of a horror, or I'm sorry, a Christmas movie that came out in the last five to 10 years that I enjoyed. Like what else has there been? Um, good question. I don't really watch Christmas movies, to be honest. We all, we all have to know like that the best Christmas movie of all time. And I know you're going to agree with me on this, Dave is Die Hard. All right. Well, I'm signing off. So see you guys next month. Suze, are we going to get into an argument? (sighs) Not tonight because it's almost Christmas. Yeah, it's, it, I'm in the Christmas spirit, so I got to stay on the nice list. Um, but see me next month, and we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all I had for Jingle Jangle. So thanks for coming out, Suze. Thanks for coming out, Sterling. It's always fun talking about movies with you. To any audience members, thanks for tuning in and giving us a listen. I don't really know what's coming next. My scheduling's been pretty lax with the holiday coming up, but we'll have more episodes eventually. I don't know what they'll be on, but they'll be here. So subscribe, stay tuned, keep your ear to the ground, stay safe, don't get COVID. Love y'all. Bye. 
All right, Dave in the editing room here. Next episode is going to be January 11th, an episode on Midnight Sky, a George Clooney Netflix project. Very excited to watch that. Also wanted to give a shout out to my friend and co-worker's new podcast called Mind Mission. One word, Mind Mission. It is a story about his mental health journey where he's trying to talk about mental health to reduce the stigma. Very cool podcast. Give it a listen. See if you like it. All right, everyone. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Bye.